Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions. Connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now, the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Hope you're having a great weekend, and we hope that your worship will be or has been one that would change lives, and maybe your life has even been changed. And we hope today that we would add to that because. A life that has been changed is a life that's on mission for God, and that's what Exploring Missions is about. Our guest today is John Event. He is the pastor, senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Concord in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, Knoxville's got a lot of suburbs around it, and I suppose Concord is one of those? Well, Concord's really West Knoxville. It's actually okay. not. It, it was an old part of Knoxville, and uh, actually now it's just West West Knoxville. West Knoxville. Yeah. Well, it is always interesting to get the First Baptist churches in a community like Knoxville, and you have several of them. That's so right. it, it, it's right. always interesting. Well, John, we're glad you're with us today, and Thank we're you, here at the Billy Graham Trenton Center at the Cove uh, Fusion, which is the heart cry for revival is going on. We've come along as American Family Radio as sponsors of it as well. And so we're taping some of those who have spoken uh, so that we could broadcast it later and people hear this. We're hoping that the, the idea of fusion, of prayer, meeting with God would not just stop here, but continue. And we're so hoping exploring missions is a part of that Amen. and taking the message of Christ around the world. Well, what I want to talk with you today a church, your own mission for God. Sounds like you guys have a special and you have a special desire to reach those people that maybe be in hard and difficult places. Yeah, you know, uh, many years ago, the Lord really put a mission call on, on my life, the life of our family. We were in uh, Belarus, the former Soviet Union, and uh, saw just hundreds coming to Jesus. Uh, but one little old woman, we were giving Bibles away and they ran out and she was begging for one. And when we talked to her, we found out that uh, she had had a Bible as a child, but uh, it was taken from her, and her father was taken from her, and she never saw either one again. And we found one Bible that I actually had in my coat and gave it to her. And uh, she hugged us, kissed us, wept, shouted, Slava Bogu, praised the Lord in Russian, and we were wrecked. We were ruined. We, we could never return to comfortable American Christianity. And, um, and so I think my ministry since then has been maybe a little bit of being a gadfly to say to God's people, um, we're, not, uh, we're, we're not here to make it about us. It's not supposed to be comfortable. Uh, our churches aren't, aren't supposed to be places where we have all of our needs met and, and enjoy ourselves on Sunday. We're meant to be a revived mission force, and uh, that's what I want to give my life to. I, I want to go back to what you said because it is, I've said we have a country club churches. Mm-hmm. It's about our comfort. Where did, have you done enough study to say, where did this start taking place? Was it after World War II? Because it seems like before World War II, they were on mission. They were praying during World War II. We're talking about praying. I've heard my parents talk about it. Others talk about how it was seeking God and asking God. And 
And then after that, there seems to be this comfort level. It's, right. And I think that's one of the worst things that's happened is our, we, want to, we want everybody to be comfortable. Yeah, prosperity has is, is never really been a very good thing for the church. And you think about it, uh, post-World War II, things got uh, better and better and better economically. Uh, there were been all kinds of prosperity in our nation. And um, a lot of people began to bring that into the church and, and really not need God so much. There's desperate need for God um, by those in places of the world who have nothing to consume but Jesus. But here we have everything to consume but Jesus. And so um, it doesn't even take um, half the church or a third of the church for any local church to become really kind of consumer-driven and, and self-centered. It only takes a you know, small number of loud people um, who say, you know, this needs to be about me. And I think um, we've seen the aging of the church. And, uh, you know, I'm not young anymore. I'm 57 years old. So I speak as someone quickly approaching being a senior adult. We have to take responsibility for this. Um, we, we should be the ones saying, how do we reach our grandchildren's generation? Um, when we're fussing and fighting over music and style and those kind of things, man, this is, this is egregious sin. We, we ought to be uh, standing before the Lord one day and, uh, and say, Hey, Lord, we, we were willing to do anything except compromise your word to reach our grandchildren's generation, to see our churches explode in revival, not to sit back and say, um, what can we do to have church like it was when I liked it? That's not revival. Most people, when they pray for revival, what they're really praying is, Lord, make the church more like the way it was when I liked it. Mm-hmm. And that's not a prayer for legitimate revival. <laughs> Here, uh, there have been some of the songs that I did not know, and I, I would, now I'm no musician, but I would try to get into the flow, and uh, so I would try to learn it as it went. I could enjoy it. Even when I did not know the rhythm, I enjoyed the words that proclaimed His glory, and I think people, they've grown to be comfortable, and we need to be a little bit uncomfortable. Should churches, their budgets reflect that? Uh, the budgets reflect comfort a lot of times. The parking lot being just perfect, the pews being padded, and the sound system being excellent. Is There's nothing wrong with the excellence, but are we feeding a machine rather than carrying the gospel? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a little bit of a tough question. I know. Because we won't I do... asked it for 30 years as pastor. Yeah. You know, so I was trying to get some advice from you. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to do everything we do with all the excellence God gives us um, to share. I, we had a man speak in our, our church, Halloran Hilton Hill Sunday, and he said, we, we don't do our craft or our calling with excellence to be known as great, but so that we can, we can help others to be better. And, um, and I think there's, we want to do with excellence everything we can, but there's a real balance there. You know, are we, does excellence mean um, that we ought to be going into debt millions and millions of dollars um, in, in order to do things that we could do more simply? I think there is going to have to be a move in our churches toward greater simplicity. Uh, if, if we don't do that voluntarily, it will be done for us. Right. The great generation, which has funded church work, is dying. And the younger generation doesn't give the way the great generation gave. And so whether we like it or not, we're going to have to simplify. We're going to have to say, how do, how do, we, how do we do things with excellence, but how do we do them with greater simplicity? And, and our church, we're, we're doing everything we can to get 
out of debt um, and yet trust the Lord when he says, now I want you to go. I want you to do this. I want you to give. I want you to, to, to start new. I want, we've started a new location. Spent quite a bit of money to do it. We're not going to sit still, but we're also going to say at every point, Lord, you show us what to do. You show us how to spend money that is both wise and missional. And at the same time, Lord, we're going we're gonna to ask you to help us get out of debt uh, and, and to live in, in simplicity and obedience. It is difficult, and what you just said, following the Lord. Well, let's go into the area of missions that you're involved in. I, I'm sure your church is involved in. Mm-hmm. And you've gone to some very difficult places of late and planning on going back, I understand. Yes. Um, our church has uh, five international um, partnerships, very serious strategic partnerships working with uh, you know, with missionaries, many missionaries from uh, from those places, we're careful about how we talk about them. But one of our partnerships is is the Middle East, and of late we've been doing a lot with refugees, both in the Middle East, where we do we use uh, medical methods, clinic, uh, education, small school, things like this to care for the Holocaust of our day. I mean, we you know the politics of America should not be what is driving. The church in America today. Jesus in Matthew 25 tells us what he'll talk to us about in heaven. And it sounds an awful lot like refugees. You know, he said, I'm going to ask you what you did about those who are naked, lonely prisoners who are hungry and thirsty. What'd you do about those folks? I expect you, if you know me, to do something about it. So we, we let politicians handle that stuff. We, we want to actually care about refugees when they come to us or when they come to Europe. And, and there's almost no believers in Europe to care for them. There's, there's few. And so we want to partner with those who are there and have our own workers and missionaries there and send our people. Uh, we sent a, we've sent, I think, about 40 of our young people to work with refugees in Europe over spring break. I'm so proud of those parents that they didn't go, what about my babies? How do I protect them? You know, we've got to stop thinking the most important thing we do for our children is to keep them safe. The gospel is not safe. And if we're not careful, we're going to raise a whole other generation of wimpy children to grow up and be wimpy adult Christians and sit around trying to be comfortable and safe. We want to invade the darkness. If you're hearing noise, it's because we're at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove doing this interview. And they've been in a worship center, uh, worshiping, and they've just let out. So we're going to continue this with the noise or ambulance ambience around us. Good noise. Yes, it is. John, the refugees. Yeah. God's greatest heart is to for people. We we're we want to have people like us. That's right. And God is making the church a little bit more uncomfortable in their comfort zone of of these people are like us. Yeah. More and more churches are becoming more and more diverse. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that. And so part of that is the refugees. So the greatest thing we can do as a church is is to really try to reach them has is your church has there any refugees come to knoxville that or is it mostly other i know they're in atlanta which is not far from from knoxville big time i know they're in new york city houston and minneapolis those are ones that have just really gravitated to but a lot of times there's refugees or either people in our 
in our own neighborhoods that we need to be on the lookout for. Oh yeah, in almost every city, uh, especially mid-sized and major cities, we have quite a few Iraqi refugees, mostly women whose husbands have, have, have died, have been killed. Um, and they come not knowing the language, knowing no one, scared to death, mostly with children. Uh, we're involved in ministering to them. Um, you know, it's what's happening in, in many places in the world, particularly Syria. Uh, one day, one day, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren are going to say, Hey, Papa, my grandchildren call me Papa John. Papa John, what, what did you do? What did you do about that? Just like, you know, if you lived in, if you lived in Germany or, or anywhere during the Holocaust and did nothing, I mean, how embarrassed would we be? How, how sad would we feel? That's the way we're going to feel if we don't do something right now. And one of the things that we've been involved in that we're very careful in, in sharing is, is uh, even before they become refugees, we're trying to minister to Syrian pastors. And, um, uh, and these pastors refuse to leave. Because they stay, they're staying. They're staying. It's one of the quotes that I shared yesterday. They said, it's Pentecost here. Muslims are coming to Christ. <clears throat> they're, they're beginning to say of their own religion, what kind of religion slaughters our families, our children? And they're saying, can there be something else? Is there, is there love? Is there hope? And they're finding it in Jesus. And, and so we're hearing Syrian pastors say, yes, my family's being killed. People I love are dying. My church has been destroyed. But I'm not leaving Pentecost. Who's going who's gonna to baptize them? Who's going to disciple them? And so we're seeking to go to them and find ways that we're careful how we talk about it, obviously. But how can we support them? How can we love them? How can we pastor the pastors? And we're hearing the most astonishing stories. We're, 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 we're in the book of Acts, Bert. Why would we want to sit in our comfortable pews and not be in the book of Acts? I don't understand that. I don't get why Christians want to live that way. It's not what Jesus intended. He, call, he said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We're to join his mission. And you know, if we don't, that's when Christians find other things to talk about. And they gossip, mm. and they get bitter and mean and mad. Yeah. And that what really has happened in our churches, we've just stopped loving Jesus. Yeah. When we start loving Jesus again, we're compelled to love each other and then go love the lost with him. And man, for me, the greatest thing I've been involved in in recent years is ministry to refugees and these Syrian pastors. And we can't wait in a short time, can't say how or where, but we can't wait to, to be a part of doing it again. ISIS. Yeah. Hideous, horrible. Yes. God is even using their horrible actions to penetrate this, these people that you're saying, how could they do this to their own people? And they're looking elsewhere. That's God. God, oh, yeah. God takes all things and works them for Romans, good. Romans eight twenty eight. We had one pastor when we were ministering to these uh, these precious brothers. Uh, one pastor tell us he said we're thankful for ISIS. And I, I said, I, 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 if I said that, I would somebody needs to slap me. Yeah, I, I felt bad asking I, the question the way I asked I like, it. I said, what do? You, how can you even? He said, oh. Oh, he said, "Oh, they're destroying." He said, they're, "He said uh, it's it's Satan walking through Syria," but but he said Romans eight twenty eight is at work. He said, "There's no way we would see the revival in our churches. There's no way we would see this evangelistic harvest. We've prayed for it all of our lives. Now it's happening before our eyes, and Muslims are having dreams of Jesus." I, listen, Bert, I I was a part of 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 listening to the testimonies 
and 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 then a part of baptizing about 15 refugees in a in a, a Muslim country who had who had come to Jesus and all of them had dreams of Jesus they didn't know anything about the gospel and when we baptized them there were a couple of terrorist soldiers who witnessed it came to Jesus and said baptize us now we're not leaving till you baptize us we said you may be killed this day we don't care we found the answer to our life when we baptized these two terrorist soldiers the people there began to dance for Jesus for two hours I have it on video we're going what is going on in this world and how have we missed it listen we're living in the greatest awakening of history. I'm convinced of 30,000 a day in China are coming to know Jesus. 25% of Guatemala are now evangelicals. India, Brazil, the Middle East, Africa, Ethiopia. We could go on and on. The only thing you have to do to see revival today is get a plane ticket. But I don't want that anymore. We need it here. I want it here. We need I want it to here. be a part in my church of seeing God move. We're a, we live in a wealthy area. We're a wealthy church. And, and, and I am so broken these days to say, God, whatever you need to do in my life as pastor, I want to be responsible for whatever you need to do in me as a leader so that revival comes to my church. Well, John, here's what I want you to do. I, I'm, I'm impressed that we pray for God to send out laborers yes. into his harvest from here yes. to the refugees. Would you mind leading us in that prayer right now, brother? You bet. You bet. Lord, I want to pray that our churches across this country would fall in love with you again, Jesus. If we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then, Lord, we'll love our neighbor. You told us those are the basics. Those are the most important things. So, Lord, help us, first of all, just to fall in love with you again, to be overwhelmed for the Holy Spirit to come upon us in your love like you told us you would in Acts 1.8. And then, Lord, we'll answer your call. We'll go be your witnesses. And that word means martus, even, Lord, if it means being your martyr. Lord, Lord, first of all, just let us die to self. Lord, we're not going to die for you if we don't die to self. So I pray for my own life. Lord, help me die to self. And I pray for our churches that we die to self. And, Lord, that then you would raise up a missional force to follow you, to join you, Jesus, to go with you, Lord, to refugees, Lord, to hurting people all across this world until the gospel is proclaimed to every ethne, every people group. And then, Lord, we say, Maranatha, come again, Lord Jesus. We're ready to see your face. We're ready for justice to finally be done over all evil. We're ready, Lord, to see your face and to live with you forever. But until then, Lord, send us with you as your missionaries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nathan, the marks of a missional church uh, can be seen in several places, I would think, in the Bible. Uh, I, I do believe the church at Philippi uh, became a missional church. The church at Ephesus became the center of everything in their region. And I, I believe ultimately Rome would become, because of what took place with the Catholic Church. But uh, in the book of Acts, we find two. One is in Jerusalem, and, and we were, you were talking at that earlier about those kind of the things that distinguished in chapters 1 and 2 about the early church and how it was uh, uh, the different characteristics. Would you share two or three yeah, of those with us? Definitely. So, you know, the, um, the interesting thing, I think this is how Jesus designed and plan to build his church is that 
there would not be one center, not, not one central church. Um, yes, things started in Jerusalem, but it went on from there to Antioch, and then even, like you mentioned, other cities, other churches. Um, and I think that's how, how it was designed to be. Um, but here at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you see from the very beginning, um, you see the church uh, starting with mission. You know, it's not an add-on to the church. It's it's it, it's at its very core. Yeah. It's, well, mission birthed the church. Yeah. Um, and we're going to see some of this um, as you read. You'll you'll see it there in Acts one and two. But just a quick outline overview, and this might be too broad, too general, but just an overview of the first couple of chapters of of the book of Acts. Really, Acts chapter one, the whole chapter. Um, you see, basically, you could say. Uh, the believers there were committed to the commands of Jesus. Uh, they were committed to, to Jesus' commands. Specifically, um, they were going to be his witnesses, um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, but the, really the initial command that Jesus gave them in Acts 1 was to wait and pray. And that's what we basically see them doing in, in Acts chapter 1. Um, and I, I really believe that's where mission begins is on our knees Man. in prayer. And, and I think for any church, a church that aspires to be a, a mission-sending church, a, a church on mission, a people on mission, um, it, that's where it begins. Is, to try is to prayer. do missions, quote, try to do missions without prayer is I, I think you're running into a dangerous territory. To it is. Frank. It's, it's uh, fruitless activity is the yeah. best you can come up with. And, and well, the danger is that you would be successful in that, in that activity, uh, quote unquote successful, you know, um, maybe drawing large numbers and, you know, on paper you can find success there. Um, but real success that Jesus is after is, is fruit that, you know, yeah, that lasts, that lasts. Yes. Yeah. And it. so, um, Jesus was preparing them to to bear fruit that lasts, and he said, wait on the Holy Spirit. They might have been kind of unsure what that meant. Uh, I, I think they were surprised. Yeah. Uh, you could do a series of sermons in the book of Acts of being surprised. Mm. The Holy Spirit falling. Yeah, that's right. Paul getting yeah. that call to Paul Mas- fell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. His, yeah, Paul. Course. I mean, so the, the book of Acts could be a book of surprises. But yeah. I, I agree with you. While they were waiting, they didn't. There's some anticipation there. What are we waiting on? That's right. <laughs> and they didn't have to wait, you know, for too long together, but they were praying. So they were committed to the commands of Jesus specifically in prayer. Then you get over to Acts chapter 2, and you, you see several other things happening. Um, you see the Holy Spirit coming and filling them. So they were filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and that's who the Holy Spirit is. It's Jesus' Spirit indwelling in his believers, his followers. And um, that, then, that's why you pray, right? I mean, you pray um, for the filling of the Spirit. Um, So then you can go out and bear that fruit. Uh, The filling of the Spirit, it's said in so many, walk in the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the filling of the Spirit, I, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but we, we think of pouring into a, a, a bucket. It's really a nautical term when a ship lifts its sails and the wind yeah. the wind comes and fills those sails. When you think of Pentecost 
and the wind, it really makes you understand the feeling of the Holy Spirit is moving into our lives. That's right. And that's what prayer does. Prayer aligns your life with the way the, the, that God is working. Right. And you get in line with him. And then he could take you where he wants. You mean he knows where he's going oh, and where definitely. he wants us to go. <laughs> he's already working. We just Our job is to join him. Amen. You know? Amen. Um, and so they were filled with the Spirit. That then, I mean, here goes Peter, uh, filled with the Spirit, and he gets up and proclaims the message, speaking the message of Jesus. And that's what the church, uh, this very early stage of the church was committed to doing, speaking the message, the good news of Jesus. And people heard it from in their own language. Um, and that's, you know, only the Spirit could do right that. Right, the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Exactly. What, yeah. the, what was lost at the ter- Tower of Babel was regained at Pentecost in Amen. for his language. Um, and so we see 3,000 believed and were baptized, but they didn't stop there. They went on, and you can read in Acts 2, 42 through 47, how they were devoted to the community of Jesus. And they did several things. They were devoted to... Um, the, the teachings that they had heard from Jesus, and they were com- taking care of one another, providing uh, for needs for one another. All of these are marks of a healthy church. They're marks of a missional church. Um, a church on mission is a church that is uh, marked by fellowship and in unity and loving one another. And you see this here in Acts 2 especially. Um, and then I like the very the last of Acts 2 verse uh, well, really the last verse, verse 47, they enjoyed the blessings of Jesus. So all of these things, they were obeying the commands of Jesus, specifically in prayer. Uh, they were filled with his spirit. Uh, they spoke his message. Uh, they were devoted to his community, to one another. And so the blessings that of Jesus they enjoyed, verse 47 says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. There's that fruit that lasts. People move to a town and they're looking for a place to join and be a part of a fellowship, a church, an assembly. Um, a lot of times they they look for convenience. Uh, they look for a place where the word of God is proclaimed. Uh, many times music plays a part into what they desire. Children's programs. Children's programs. Yep. But I would add... To that list, and, and I'm not, I'm not mocking that list, Nathan. Those are considerations, and I, yeah. I, you know, I consider those. Uh, but I, there's another one, and that's the missional. What's yeah. what's that church doing? For is the missions of is it? You know, I had a lady that taught me a lot about missions. She was the head of the mission organization in the church where I pastored. And she said, we just do missions. She said, you can call it international. You can call it home, local. He, she said, you just do missions. And this is before the word missional, the word missional, right. was that, that phrase was coined. And I, and I, liked, I remember the first time I heard missional, you know, and uh, I thought of that lady. Mm. I said, she had that. So we're asking your church, you may be God use you. To start something in your church, you're listening to today and you're saying, man, I'm not sure our church is part of that. Uh, Well, you start where you're planted, don't you? Yeah, that's right. And I believe it starts just like we see in Acts 1 in prayer, waiting on the Spirit to to fill you and direct you in the ways that He would go. See, God is already on mission and He 
planted, he birthed, he started, he built his church to be on mission with him. And we want you to be on mission with the Lord Jesus Christ as he leads you into carrying out his great commission, both at home and abroad, and even across the street. Mm-hmm.